My wife and I are having our third child in seven and a half weeks. I can't believe it. I know. It's happened faster than we thought. So this being our third child, we decided that uh, we were going to, we sold our SUV and we bought a minivan. Uh, So we took that step into like, this is like beyond the line of not being cool anymore when you buy a minivan. Um, But we decided, um, we decided to actually buy a new minivan as opposed to, and I normally I'm like a buy cars two to three years old because I really enjoy someone else paying the depreciation for me. Um, but th- I b- decided that uh, to buy a new minivan because I started to look at minivans that were two to three years old. And if you've ever seen one that's two to three years old, you know why I bought a new one. Uh, because it looks like it just come back from Iraq. Uh, I mean, they're just they're, they're a bit rough at times. So um, so we got this new minivan and it's 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 really nice. And I mean, it's, it's I'm, I, I'm I'm really impressed with it. And um, so the other day I was taking it and I was going to fill up the car with gas. It was a Friday, so it was a day off for me. So I'm pulling out of the driveway and it comes with like the three free months of satellite radio, which is I was so excited about. So I turn on my favorite satellite radio station and I crank the, I turn the windows down, I put the windows down and I crank the radio up. And then as I'm, I'm pulling out of the uh, driveway, I, realize, I, I, I hit something and I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So I get out, put the car in park, and I get out of the, I get out of the van, and I look at it, and I, I ran into my own trash can, which is just like insulting enough. But then to add insult to injury, um, I broke the tail light on this brand new car, which I'm like, you've got to be kidding me! I can't believe I just did this. And uh, so I'm so upset, but I, I even in my, in my anger, I did make a one decision that I thought was smart, and I said, my decision is. Carrie will never know about this. So that's at least the first decision that I made. So I went and got gas, and as I'm on my way to get gas, I called Toyota, and I'm like, listen, I need to replace this. Can you do this in the next 20 minutes? And they're like, well, we don't have the part. It'll be here on Monday. I'm like, well, order the part. I'll be there Monday. So then I went into plan B, which was what I like to call Operation Puzzle. Operation Puzzle consists of, well, I had a different option, the first option was, because Pastor Mark has the same car, I was actually going to steal his taillight. But I called him, and he wasn't home, so then I just hung up on him. And then, um, oh, no, I didn't hang up on him. I was like, oh, I'm just calling to see how you were. I was praying for you this morning. And uh, you know, anyway, so then I went into Operation Puzzle. Now, Operation Puzzle was, I've, I've, I've done, I love puzzles, and I've done lots of puzzles in my life. So my goal was, when I got home, because I feel like all of this was preparing me for this moment in my life. Uh, to, to be able to deceive my wife. And so I went home and I found all the little pieces of taillight that were on my driveway. And then my goal was to glue all of them back together, put the taillight back together, and no one would be any the wiser until I was able to then get it replaced, which, of course, then nobody would ever know about. And so I get home and I get all the pieces together and I open up my the garage and then I just walk into, you know, you know, my whole thing is, you know, Bob, act casual, act casual. So I walk in, hey, how's it going, everyone? Hey, did you do your hair? You know, kind of being real, you know, real, keeping it loose, telling a couple jokes. I get in there, get this crazy glue out of the junk drawer. And then she's like, so what are you doing? I'm like, oh, don't worry about me. Just involved, you know, one of my crazy projects. And it's like, all right, well, I'm going to take care of it. All right, you know, you do that. And so I just kind of, so now I had all the pieces together and I start Go, going at this thing, and uh, I, now mind you, I got to look, see kind of what the broken pieces look like when they're all together. So I'm trying to put this whole thing together. Anyway, in a, in 
I, I, I was shocked at how well I did. I glued the whole thing together because it was like kind of like a circle. So I glue the whole thing together. I have this circle all with the crazy glue. Then I go to the back of the car and uh, I'm, then I do the second part of the Operation Puzzle, which is not just to get all the pieces together, now glue it back on to what remains of the um, remains of the taillight. And so actually I have a picture of when I was done. And look at that. I don't know about you, but I'm extremely impressed by that. And if it wasn't for the cracks in the tape, you wouldn't even be able to tell that there was anything broken. Um, which, if you can't see, because of my awesome job, it's right there and right there. So anyway... So I'm finishing up, and right as I'm putting the tape on, um, my wife comes out of the, uh, I hear the door slam, she's come through the garage, and she's coming out. She's like, hey, so what are you doing? And I've got still like crazy glue all over my hands, and I, there's tape, so I just threw the tape into the bushes, and I just kind of like put my hands behind my back, and I just put my back up to the van, and I'm like, what's up? How you doing? And she's like, I'm, I'm good. What are you doing out here? And I'm like, me, I'm just taking in life. What are you doing? The question is, what are you doing? And she's like, uh, Bob, we've been married now almost 15 years. And after 15 years, I've known, I know things about you. I look how, how you're standing and I look where you're standing. You broke something in the car, didn't you? How do you define Broke. Broke, cracked, smashed. I mean, what, you know. And so she's like, you, you, you broke the taillight. Yes, I did. And, um, and then this is all part of her interrogation. And she says, and let me guess, you concocted an idea that you were going to fix it without ever telling me about it. That would be affirmative. And, uh, and so then she looks at it and she sees this and she goes, well, you did a pretty decent job, but because you won't show me your hands, it leads me to believe that you've crazy glued them together, haven't you? That would be correct. And, uh, and so she, she's like, you know, Bob, you've done a lot of crazy things in all these years of being married, and no one can ever question your commitment to your insane ideas. And uh, so then she just went back in the house, which... And I thought to myself, like, this exchange went better than I thought it would. Except for the fact I realized she closed the door and my hands are glued together and I can't open the door. Which led to a whole new set of problems. Um, now, here's, here's the point. Here's the point of why I tell you all this. Um, one, I mean, there's several applications to this. One, deception doesn't really work well. Unless you know how to handle crazy glue better than I do. But the point of the matter is this. Is that uh, when someone is committed to something. I mean, really committed. They will go to extremes to see the job get done. And it doesn't matter what it is that you're committed to. It doesn't matter um, if, if you think it's something great or something small. If you're willing to commit to it, I mean, you'll do whatever it takes to make it happen. And see, all of us, we've been anticipating today, those of us that call Calvary home, because today is something that we've been calling Commitment Sunday. And today's the day that all of us who call Calvary home, we've been, uh, this is the, the day that we're committing to the blueprint campaign where we're taking our next step to build our future together. And, uh, and honestly, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I am amazed by the radical things that I'm hearing that people have come and told me that, hey, this is what we're going to do and this is what we were thinking about doing. And, um, and, uh, you know, I've talked to people who are selling cars and saying, I'm going to sell my car and I'm going to give everything towards Blueprint. People that are selling boats and all kinds of stuff and canceling vacations and tightening their belts for the sake of, of giving to a vision of our future. 
and what it could be, what could be the next step for our church. And um, I don't think it's any surprise to anybody as we've been talking about this that our next step is to get a permanent facility and um, and not continue to meet in rented facilities. And the challenge that we've always had is how do we get there? And um, as as you know, we're not living in um, in the economic conditions that we were three or four years ago, where banks were lending to anyone. Um, the you know, if, if you remember a few years ago, the standard procedure as far as whether you could get um, approved at a bank is they'd take a mirror, put it under your nose. If there was fog, you were approved. Um, but now it's a little bit different. And while they're still lending, they've raised their standards considerably. And what it looks like for us, as we, and we've talked about this, and if you haven't been here, you'll get a quick little tutorial. Um, but if we found a building that was about $3 million, it would, we'd be, to be in a position to close on the property... We'd have to put, you know, 20 to 25 percent down, which is about six to seven hundred thousand dollars just to close on it. Then you consider construction costs, architectural plans, and then we're still meeting here while we're paying a mortgage over there. There'd be some some resources we'd need to to be able to pay both at the same time before we move in. And so our goal has been between when we launched this in October um, until the end of next year, so about 15 months is to raise a million dollars over that time so we'd have enough money for a down payment and cover uh, the mortgage payment and all that stuff while we're here and still getting ready uh, for over there. Now, what I'm amazed by, and honestly, I've been totally blown away by the level of response that we've seen even before today. Because we've been telling everybody that November 6th, today is Commitment Sunday, but people have been letting us know, hey, I'm committed and filling out the commitment, card, the commitment things that we've been putting in the bulletin over the last few weeks. Um, we met with some leaders a few weeks ago to tell them everything that we're doing and saying, hey, you know, as leaders, we need to set the example. And um, just a couple of meetings that we had with some leaders, those, those leaders, those of us that committed, um, committed over $225,000 to Blueprint, just that, just that group. Plus, because we are a church that always tries to live below our means, um, we've been able to save uh, just over $150,000. So now, so we're right now, we haven't even done Commitment Sunday yet, and we're already a little over $375,000, so a little, we're over a third of the way there before Commitment Sunday, which is just fantastic. So we're, we're very, very excited about that. And um, so God has really put us well on our way to see this vision become a reality. And so, but what I want to do for the time that we have as, as we're here at Commitment Sunday is I want to talk about the power of commitment. Because there are really amazing things that happen in our lives when we commit to be part of what God calls us to do. And to illustrate the power of commitment, I want us to open, uh, if you would, to, I want us to look at a story in the Old Testament. Um, so if you would, if you'd open your Bibles with me to the book of Second Chronicles chapter 16. Um, or if you don't have your Bible and you're a uh, you know, smartphone, iPhone, iPad person, you can turn it on and do your thing there. But it's going to be Second Chronicles chapter 16 is where we're going to be. But before we begin, I, I need to tell you a story to set the stage. Um, the person that we're going to be looking at is a guy by the name of Asa. Asa was the king of Judah. Now, um, some of you that have been, a while, been here for a while, you know this, but one of the things that happens is, is that um, after you know, King David had a son named Solomon, after Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel was divided in two. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, and there was the southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom of Judah, it had Jerusalem as its capital. So Asa becomes king, but he becomes king of the southern kingdom called Judah. And early in his reign, there, uh, he hears that 
this group of Ethiopians and Libyans are coming to attack the southern kingdom of Judah, to attack Jerusalem. And the Ethiopians have brought over one million people to fight them in this battle. Now, at this moment, I mean, he is just blown away. I mean, what is he, what is he going to do? He has no idea what he's going to do um, at, at this time. And so all, he does the only thing that he can do. He commits himself fully to the Lord and to say, God, th- I'm, I'm committing myself to you because there's no way that I can do this on my own. Well, I put it in your notes, but look at what it says in Second Chronicles 14, verses 11 and 12. It says, And Asa cried out to the Lord as God and said, Lord, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. You see, Asa's total commitment to the Lord led to a victory over a million-person army that he could never have defeated on his own. And years go by now. He's later in his reign. He's older. He's supposed to be wiser. And yet now another attack is coming against Asa and the people of Judah. And that's where we begin in chapter 16 of Second Chronicles. Here's where we start in verse 1. It says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and of the king's house and sent to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who dwelt in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father. See, I have sent you silver and gold. Come, break your treaty with Baasha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad heeded King Asa, and sent the captains of his armies against the cities of Israel. And they attacked Ijon, Dan, uh, Abel, Maim, and the storage cities of Naphtali. Then, now it happened when Baasha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and ceased the work. Then King Asa took all Judah, carried away the stones and the timber of Ramah, which Baasha had used for a building, and he built, and there with them he built uh, Geba and Mitzpah. And here's the key in verse 7. It says, At that time, Hanani the seer, or the prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria, and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Syria has escaped from your hands. Were the Ethiopians and the Lubim not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. But in this you've done foolishly. And therefore, from now on, you will have wars. It's amazing to me that you pause there and give me your attention that Asa now older, supposedly wiser, but now wealthier, says, I once solved the problem by trusting God and by totally committing myself to him. But now I'm going to commit myself by doing by, by I'm going to solve the problem by committing myself to something else. And the prophet shows up and he says to him, he says, Asa, don't you remember what God did when you committed yourself to him fully? 
that he delivered you from an army of one million people and now all these years later you've decided to put your trust in what money can buy rather than on God? And that's when Hannah and I delivers one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. When he says, don't you know that the eyes of the Lord just scan the earth looking for people who are totally devoted to him that he might show himself strong on their behalf? Didn't you realize that, Asa? In fact, I love what it says in the message paraphrase. It says it this way. It says, didn't the Ethiopians and Libyans come against you with superior forces, completely outclassing you with their chariots and cavalry? But you asked God for help and he gave you the victory. God is always on the alert, constantly on the lookout for people who are totally committed to him. You were foolish to go for human help when you could have had God's help. You see, why? This is the question that I want us to answer today, and that is, why is God looking for commitment? I mean, why is God seeking to build commitment in your life the same way He's trying to seek to build it in mine? And the reason is because what we commit ourselves to reveals three truths about us, and that's what I want to explore for the time that we have together. And if you're taking note, I'd have you write this in your notes for point one, and that is, why does God want us to build commitment? Because number one, my commitment shows my values. It shows my values. Um, I got, someone sent me an article this week that I thought was really fascinating. It was from the Orange County Register in California, and uh, it was about a kid who was so committed to, the, to, to video games, and particularly this video game called uh, World of Warcraft, if you're familiar with it, um, that it completely ruled his life. Um, and this, this kid in, in, that lived in uh, Southern California, um, it, the, the article said, this is what he was saying, that he would only allow himself 30 seconds to go to the bathroom because he was playing this game, and he would not shower, he would not brush his teeth because he was playing this game. In fact, he played the game more than 15 hours a day. Now, say what you will. That's commitment. I mean, he'll never know the touch of a woman, but he's committed, right? Sorry about that. Uh, right? Nobody, can't, nobody can say that he isn't committed. And here's the thing is, is that the things that we commit ourselves to simply show what we value. That, that, that's all that it is, right? You know, the, the, there's, all of us have friends or whatever that like, they get up at four in the morning to go to the gym. And, you know, we might call them crazy or whatever. Or those people like me call them fit. Um, and, you know, but listen, here's what it is. What they do is simply showing the commitment that they have. Um, we all see, we all or know people that, you know, the, the, like the guys that like paint their bodies different colors. And then they go to, you know, the, their favorite team. Like, you know, the, they go to the football game or whatever and they've got... They've painted themselves whatever color and then all their friends get together and they're writing out some word and then they all have to sit a certain way or it doesn't make sense. Like, but I like that guy more. Well, you're the letter D, so you got to sit here. You know, and, and then, you know, they don't wear a shirt and it's usually people who should be wearing shirts at all times that are, that are doing that. And they all watch the game in the blistering cold, right, but wearing no shirt. And we would agree, listen, they may not be very smart, but they are very committed to what it is that they're, that they're committed to. And, and, and listen... It's not what we say that shows our commitment. It's what we actually do, what we commit ourselves to through our investment of time, talent, treasure. It's what Jesus would say. What did he say in Matthew chapter 6? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is, whatever we, wherever we put our resources, our heart will naturally follow. Um, I don't know, like every person I know that um, has invested in the stock market, 
there's this interesting transformation that happens. You decide you're going to try your hand at the stock market, so you start investing, and here's what happens. Nobody has to tell you to do this, but you start doing this. The next day you wake up and you say, maybe I should pick up a copy of the Wall Street Journal, find out how things are going. You download an app on your phone that you say, well, I'm going to really keep, keep track. You wake up in the morning, you say, you know, maybe I'll watch Bloomberg TV. I didn't even know what that was before, but I'm going to watch Bloomberg for a little while and find out what's, what's going on. And you're going to watch the ticker all day long. And now you, you're, you've got that, you know, your, your boss thinks you're working, but you're working. And then when he's not there, you're flipping over to another screen where you're just kind of watching how this thing is doing. Right. And so all this, all this stuff is going on. And it's like, well, why is that? Because you invested there. And where your treasure is there, your heart will naturally go. You see, it's the same thing that happens when we invest in God's kingdom. It's an amazing thing that happens is that when a person begins to invest in God's kingdom, you know what happens? Their heart follows. You see, when someone starts investing in God's kingdom, here's what they do. They start asking questions. Hey, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's happening? What's going on? They commit themselves to, hey, I'm going to start serving. And when they start committing themselves, you know what happens? Um, because they've already said, hey, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So they start investing treasure. Then they want to get involved. Say, man, I've got, some, I've got some skills that I could use. And so what takes place? Well, they, na- the natural thing happens. It's not that anybody told them. It's simply the natural response of what Jesus said, that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, for those of us, and this is the really cool thing, for those of us that are committing today to the Blueprint campaign, here's what you can know is that your heart is going to be drawn to the things of God more than you realized. Your desires um, will be drawn more to, to the things of God. Your heart will be drawn more. Why? Because your heart will follow your treasure, and the commitment that you make will simply reveal what it is that we value. The second thing I want to share with you is this about commitment, is that my commitments shape my life. That my commitments shape my life. It's, it's just, it's just the, way, the way that it is. It's just what commitment does. Um, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a musician from the time I was about 13. When I turned 15, I got a bass guitar for my birthday. I got some birthday money. I put it together. I haggled with a guy and, and got a bass guitar. Um, and so I started playing bass at 15. Now, truth be told, I didn't really play all that much um, because what I really wanted to do was look cool more than actually learn how to play. So when my family would go out um, and I would stay home, I'd have the bass and I had this horrible amp. And then I would, we had a stereo in our living room, so I'd put on a CD or a tape in, in, our, uh, in our living room. And I, we had, it was the 80s, uh, or, you know, late 80s, so we had one of those, like, floor-to-ceiling mirrors, you know, because that was all the rage in Miami at the time. Uh, and because it was all those, like, hey, you know, when you have those, it, like, it makes the house look huge, right? I don't know about you, it just made it look weird that I was over there and over here. But anyway, so there's this whole, everybody had that, like, wow, this house is enormous. Well, it's a fun house. It's all mirrors. Uh, and so, anyway, but so I, I wouldn't actually, um, so I wouldn't play. I'd get in front of the, uh, the thing, and I'd just, like, you know, go Millie Vanilli, you know. Blame it on the, no, I wouldn't play them, but I'd play all my favorite songs. But I wouldn't actually play because I didn't know the songs, because I didn't really take the time to practice. But I just wanted to look cool, although I don't know how cool it looks now that I think back to it, is playing, you know, like, some music, and I'm just like there by myself, rocking out, you know, pretty much I look like a nerd. But anyway, it's not really the point. Moving on. Um, but here's what happened. I've been, I, had, I had had the bass for about a year and didn't do much with it. Um, then I got a phone call. And the phone call was from this guy that I, I knew, that we went to high school together, and he was a really good guitar player. And he said, hey, um, 
a friend, uh, we had a mutual friend, and it was his birthday, and they were throwing a party for him. And they said, well, hey, here's the thing. We're throwing this party for this guy, and we're going to have a band. And um, I, now, I don't know who told him this erroneous information, but they said, now, we heard that you play bass and that you're pretty good. So, which is probably me who said that. But um, I, anyway, but they said, well, we need a bass player, um, and we're going to do, we're just going to do a bunch of Metallica songs. Do you know, you know, you're, you're pretty good. You know all the Metallica songs, right? And I'm like, yeah, of course. I know all of them. I mean, the lyrics anyway. Uh, and so, so I said yes. And he said, okay, great. Well, the party's in two weeks, which I thought it was like six months, but it was two weeks away. At that moment, everything else in my life stopped. And uh, all I did for the next two weeks was just play those songs over and over. I learned them. I figured out how... And back then... Um, I know this is going to be so weird for those of you that are young, but I didn't, we didn't have the internet back then. And so they had these, um, they would have these base books that you could buy and they were like 20 bucks and I didn't have any money. And so what I would do is, is that I would actually go to the, I would go to the music store and I just, mind you, I'd be going in there like four times a day. So I'd go into the music store, I'd open up the book, and I would just read, because I didn't know how to read music, and so I'd read some of the music, and I'd write some of it down, then I'd put it in my pocket, and then I'd go home, learn the next part, and I was okay, I got it. Then I'd go back. Now, mind you, these people probably thought I was like shoplifting, which I guess now, looking back, I guess to some degree I was, I was stealing their intellectual property. But anyway, so I'm, 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 I'm reading all this, and so I'm just kind of going through the book, because I, you know, once again, we didn't have like, oh, look up like chords or anything online. So I did that, but I did that for two weeks, played literally. I know people say that, like, you know, I'd play until my fingers bled. Literally, my fingers started to bleed. I was playing, you know, seven, eight hours a day. And, man, we got there for this guy's party, but, and I knew every song at that time. You know, I was like the happiest 16-, 17-year-old kid there was at the time. But here's the thing that's interesting, is that that phone call set something in motion in my life that, that, that didn't stop. And that is that after I played that little party with that um, with those guys, it gave me the confidence to start a band. Now we were horrible, and that band lasted. I think we played like three shows or something, and then that band broke up. Led me to start another band. That led me to start another band, which then I left that band and joined another band. And that band got a record deal, and um, and it all started. Listen, it all started with a phone call, a phone call that led to a commitment that I made. And that commitment shaped my, my entire life. And the whole point is this, is that we become what we're committed to. And whether we believe it or not, our lives are the sum total of the commitments that we make. And we can fight it, we can disagree with it, but it's the truth. Um, if a person believes and commits themselves that making money is the most important thing in life, then their life will be shaped by that. If someone believes that being popular and being liked is the most important thing in life, their life will be shaped by that. If someone believes that just having a good time is that's what life is all about, their life will be shaped by that commitment that they make. You see, if you and I were to sit down and you were to, for, for half an hour and you were to tell me everything that you're committed to, I would be able to pretty much tell you how your life is going to turn out. And you say, wow, that's like a 
an amazing gift. No, it really isn't because if you sat down with anyone and they told you for half an hour, these are all the things that I'm committed to, you know what you'd be able to do? With a pretty good amount of certainty, say, based on everything that you're committed to, this is pretty much where your life is going, is going to go because our commitments will eventually uh, take us there. And it's not a superpower, it's the power of commitment that we will make our commitments and then our commitments will make us. That's why in, the, in Proverbs, Solomon writes, and he says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And that's why, listen, for those of us that are saying we're committing to Blueprint today, um, you may not have even realized it, but the commitment that you're making is shaping your life. Because it's changing who you are, because that's what commitments do. They change us, they shape us, and they determine really the, the direction of our lives. And that's the third point. That is that my commitments determine my future. That my commitments determine my future. Thirteen years ago, my wife and I committed to a building campaign of the church we were at, the church that sent us out to come and start Calvary. When we were there, we made a huge, uh, for us, what was a huge commitment and a huge sacrifice for the sake of seeing um, us go move into this, this, this building. And... Um, and we felt like this is what God was leading us to do. And it was, you know, not just our regular giving, but like, like this campaign, it was above our normal giving. And it was a sacrifice for us. And here's what we found is that God showed up in ways that we couldn't possibly have imagined. And you know what's amazing to me? And here's what I learned. Is that that commitment that I made back in 1996, 1997, began a trajectory of trusting God and believing God more than I thought possible. And so that commitment in 1997 led to another commitment in 1999, which led to more commitment, which led to me trusting God and stepping out to even start this church. And today, my wife and I are making the biggest financial commitment we've ever made to anything, um, to, to Blueprint. And listen, and the only reason that we can is because of what happened um, all of those, those years ago when we decided that we were going to trust God. And listen, the Bible says this in Ephesians 3.20. Paul write, has this amazing prayer that he writes for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 3. And it crescendos at this verse in verse 20. He says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work at power within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Because here's my desire. And here's my desire for me. And here's my desire for you. Is that someday hopefully in the very near future, we're going to be able to walk up to a piece of property um, and see some families walking into church, and, I, and I'll be able to turn to my kids the same way you'll be able to turn to yours and say, hey, we helped build this. And, um, you know, when, when I drive up to the church that sent us out, there's this spot in the children's ministry that many times I avoid because I get very emotional every time I walk by there. I walk down this hall, there's a set of stairs, and I remember so vividly the night before everything opened. And um, we were there, and it was a, a bunch of us, and we're all still friends to this day. Um, all of us at 2 o'clock in the morning laying carpet in the children's ministry because everything had to be ready by the, by the next day when, when was, was opening, uh, opening weekend for us. Um, and so that's why, I mean, and what I realize is, is that what we're committing to is so much bigger than a piece of property, and it's going to last so much longer than a building that we build because what we're investing in, we're investing into eternity because people's lives are going to be changed. There's marriages that are going to be restored, addictions that are going to be broken, kids that are going to see their dads come home, hopeless people who walk in that are going to be given hope. 
And people without a future that are going to find themselves experiencing what Jeremiah 29.11 says, that God has given them a future and a hope. And all because, listen, all that's going to happen because today a group of, peop- a group of people stood up with crazy faith. Move mountains kind of faith. Faith that is willing to trust God over these 15 months and say, I'm not even sure how God's going to do this, but I'm committing myself to it and I'm going to do my part and God's going to do his part and we're going to be excited to watch him work. And so listen, this is the beginning. This, this first step, the commitment that we make today is step one in building our future together. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, the band's going to play. And um, we're going to pray, and the band's going to come out. They're going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to invite everyone who's committed to Blueprint to come forward and drop off their, their commitment in, in one of these baskets that, that are here. Um, and um, couples, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm not, instead of saying, oh, honey, you just go. No, no, no. I'm going to ask that both of you come forward. Because this isn't a commitment that one of you are making. This is a commitment that both of you are making. Leaders, I know that many of you already committed. And I'm going to ask that you come forward and that you, you just reaffirm the commitment that you made that just shows that, hey, we're, we're together in this and as leaders and, and you know, we're, we're committed to this and setting the example. If, if you're watching and you're in the parent-child room, can I just tell you that there's a basket in the room that you're in? You can just, you and your spouse, um, go forward there and, and so you don't have to come all the way in here. There's, there's something set up for you in there. Some of you, maybe you said, oh, you know, I, I committed a week or two ago. I'm going to ask that you still reaffirm that commitment today um, as a sign of unity and just mutual commitment together of us as a church because God is calling us to something amazing. But it's not something that we're called to do alone. It's, It's all of us, with God's help, by God's grace, building our future together. That's what we're doing here this morning. That's what we're affirming here this morning, that we're going to see God do something amazing. And we want to partner with him in the process. And we're going to build this future together. Us together, with him together. Let's pray. And Lord, we thank you so much for your word. How it calls us to greater levels of living. We thank you for commitment because it shapes our lives. And we thank you for this blueprint campaign that it's calling us to live a different way, to live a better way. That this commitment that we're making, that we're making the commitment, but then the commitment will make us. So God, may you do an amazing work in this time that we have together, in these moments. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you to come forward at this time. Lord, we thank you. We thank you. I thank you for every person who's committed to this, who is willing to take a step in your direction to build this future together with us, with you. And Lord, I pray that you really would show up in each and every life here in amazing ways. That you would do the seemingly what is impossible for man but is only possible with you and Lord we know that after this season is over we're going to look back and say that this was life changing and this had very little to do with an amount and had everything to do with the heart 
with you wanting to change us and mold us and shape us into your image, the image of your son, Jesus. So, Lord, thank you. Do a great work and meet us in this place at this time where we've done our part. Now you, God, do your part because you've told us that if we draw near to you, that you will draw near to us. We pray it in Jesus' name.